Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. We've been walking through this year of the Bible, and our starting line was Genesis with God in the garden, and we are now finishing. There's a finish line that's in the book of Revelation. And so we're starting the book of Revelation over the next couple of weeks as we come to, to Easter. And so the book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. And, and as we know, it is, it is, it, there's a lot of interesting things in the book of Revelation. And the word revelation means, it doesn't mean, um, some people think it, it means it comes from a Greek word, right? It says it's apocalypse. And they think that word means that the end is near, you should run and hide and be scared. That's actually not what that means. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. It's, uh, it, it just means the unveiling. It means revealing something, revealing what's kind of really going on. And so we want to ask God to reveal things to us as we come to the book of Revelation. And so the book of Revelation, it's, as you read through it, you have imagery that's, it's like you're watching a Lord of the Rings movie. You're like, you're like oh yeah, there's this and this. Or, uh, or if you were to read the J.R. Tolkien, Tolkien books, you would see all of these, these interesting things. You have dark landscapes and big battles and dark lords and dark towers and, and, and like, epic things going on. You've got animals with multiple heads and horns and you're like, I, I don't know what's going on here. It is designed, and this is what these types of book, they are designed to, to how God uses them. There's all of these pictures and images. It's incredibly creative and that's really cool about the book of Revelation. Now, there's a lot of differing ideas about the book of Revelation. There's a lot of thoughts about some things, and some things we know, and some things we don't. And so what we want to do is focus on what we do know, but what we do know about the book of Revelation is there is a promise that if those who read the book will be blessed by God. It's actually really cool. Those who read the book will be blessed by God. Revelation 1.3 says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written for the time is near. So we've seen God's heart in the whole of the Bible. We've seen why he sent his son. We've seen why all these, we had the law and the tabernacle and the sacrifices. We, we've, we pieced it all together. And it's, it's for this finish line that is yet to come. This is, the, this is part of the Bible that is yet to come. And so the book is about the future, but really it's a book about Jesus. That's why it's called the revelation. This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about, the book is about the majestic warrior lamb King Jesus, who is coming again to rule and reign forever. Like that, that's a really big thing. It's about Jesus coming and casting out Satan forever. It's about Jesus coming and being the world's true king who rules and reigns. And I want you to understand today that this book was given to us by God in the midst, it was written to churches in Asia Minor. And yes, it is for them, but it's also for us. 
And so this was written in the midst of deep persecution, deep suffering by these churches. And so Jesus gives a direct revelation to John and John writes it down. Old friends come back together and Jesus says, I want you to do this. And so the book is to anchor the church and us with great hope that when things get a little squirrely, that we can have hope that Jesus will sustain us. This is very important, that we would persevere, that we wouldn't give up. Revelation 1, 1 through 2 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. This was given by God to us. So as you read this book, we witness events that are leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. They're leading up to his, his return. And that's important to understand about this book because there's also, there's actually other details because it speaks to like three or four different things. And so it, it actually speaks to the events in the first century church. So it speaks to them. It also has timelines that aren't connected to historical events. They're just timelines. So where do we apply that in Daniel 7 and how's all this fit together? It also speaks about primarily future events. At the end of history, at the end of time. I mean, this is what we've all been waiting for. This is, this is when the, the earth that was cursed by sin and humanity is cursed by sin. It's all restored back to its original purpose with God. That, that's amazing. There's a new heaven and a new earth. It's, it's going to be incredible. But all of these events are future. Now, why we don't fully understand all of the pictures and types and shadows is because we haven't seen it yet. We don't know. We, don't, we, can, we can't put some of the pieces together. Some you can speculate. Some you just got to go, well, I don't know. That's just weird. I don't know. Now, we're living today, though. I want you to think about this for a moment. We are living in very unsettled times today. We're living in... We have nations plotting against nations. Major players in the world are shifting and shaping things. Pipelines are blowing up. The, 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 the heart rate of all humanity is rising and it's, and it's beating fast. Blood pressure is rising in all of humanity. It's not just a United States of America thing. Revelation isn't about United States of America. It's about the return of our king of the whole world. Every nation, every tongue, every knee. So this is, this is on the world stage. And so for us, as we look at the things that are happening in the world, you go, wow, what's going on? Is Jesus coming back soon? When is he coming back? Jason, can you give me a date? Because that always works good for, the, for preachers who do that. <clears throat> and when we look at this, we go, what's this book about? And this is really what, I, what I, I, I know and I believe. When things get unsettled in the world, 
that the book of Revelation is to remind us, do not put your hope in something fixing the broken world. Put your hope in Jesus Christ. Put your hope in the coming king. Don't put your hope in an earthly kingdom. Don't put your hope in a earthly system. And so when the world is freaking out, we can be calm, can be at peace. Because we put our hope in a kingdom that will never pass away. We put our hope in a kingdom, actually in a king who will rule and reign forever and who is guiding us and who will never leave us nor forsake us regardless of what happens in the world. And his call to us is, is, is a kingdom call. We have, been, we have been placed in his kingdom. We have been taken from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of his son, of, the, of, of light. And here's, here's the deal. The temptation for believers is as things look like, oh, wow, Jesus is coming back. Let's just, let's, let's pull back. Let's hunker down. Let's, let's get in prayer circles and, and shut the world out and just wait for Jesus to come back. It's, it happens historically. All the time in church history, when things look a little crazy and wonky, what happens is Christians start pulling back. But we are, this book is to remind us that we are to listen to the parable of Jesus out of Luke 19, 13, the parable of the nobleman and the workers. And the nobleman goes away and the workers are to occupy until the nobleman comes back. Another translation says, engage in business until I come. We are the workers. The nobleman is Jesus, and he's coming back again. And we are to keep working, keep occupying, keep doing kingdom business. Don't quit, don't hide, don't fret, don't fear, but live the life God has called you to live. That's what our job is. It's not to stop raising families, it's to keep raising our families. It's not to stop getting involved in the world, it's to keep getting involved in the world. It's not to stop bringing forth righteousness on the, on the earth, it's to keep bringing forth righteousness. The temptation is always to pull back, to wait, to just let's hunker down, and that is not what God has called us to do. There is no hunker down gear for the kingdom of God and those who are in it. It is forward. There is no reverse. It is forward. And that's what we're to do. So God is inviting us. So I want to take a few minutes this morning on how John begins to equip not only the churches, but also us as well. The book of Revelation speaks of great persecution. And persecution is something that we're uncomfortable with as we should be. That's why it's called persecution. It doesn't feel good. There is a promise in scriptures that Christians will suffer in the last days. Maybe not call it a promise. We could call it, he's, he just told us it's going to happen. Now we don't like that, but the truth is it's going to happen. There's going to be great persecution and those in the book of Revelation are suffering greatly because they are witnessing about Jesus Christ. The truth is Christians will be attacked, beheaded, according to the scriptures. Serving Christ will not be easy. But God wanted 
to remind us and to lift our eyes and to lift our eyes individually and as a church that will give us great hope no matter what. No matter what. I want, let's look at the first encouragement here. The God has given us, this is great encouragement as we move to the finish line of the second coming of Jesus. In the last days, in the last days, this is the first thing that I, I, that I to me, I just, it leapt off the page at me. Revelation 1.4 says, grace to you. And remember, persecuted church, hurting church, needing hope, grace to you and peace from him. Everybody say him. Who is and who was and who is, is to come. In other words, hey, hey, don't, don't be discouraged. You might be in pain, but let me tell you something. I'm coming and I'm gonna right every wrong. I want you to think about God's grace. So the first, the first encouragement is our heavenly father, your heavenly father in the last days will sustain us by his grace. Everybody say grace. I want you to think about God's grace for a moment. What grace means is that God gives us unmerited favor that we did not earn. He gives us favor. See, many people fear the last days because there will be suffering. And so all of us go, man, how will I respond to persecution? How will I respond to difficult times? How can I do that? I've thought that. Have you thought that before? What, how would I do? And there can be fear at times. And we can, be, we can fear what, how we're going to respond when this prophecy comes true. But what we need to understand that our heavenly father will sustain us by his grace. And this grace, we need to understand regardless of what's going on in our world, we can find peace by the grace of God, from the grace of God. But this, this is, um, it's in, it, we need to understand it's a, there's an order of God's peace that the scripture speaks of. John was writing the church and saying, listen, you guys are struggling. I want you to know that grace to you and peace from him, from God, Father God. So, but the order of grace is this. There's first peace with God through our salvation. And then from that, there is, we, we, we can, then we have peace, the peace of God in difficult times. So from God's grace, we have received redemption and forgiveness of sins. And it has come, now listen to me, it has come to undeserved sinners. His grace gave us something we needed desperately that we couldn't get ourselves. His grace gave us gave us forgiveness, his grace saved us, all of that. It was by his unmerited favor that we received that. So we were destitute and we were lost and God said, I'm gonna give you grace. You didn't deserve it, here you go. And what we need to understand is the same way that God's grace met you as a sinner and saved you, the same way that you didn't do anything to get it, when you face persecution and suffering, God's grace is gonna do the same thing to you. It's going to come to you out of his grace and unmerited favor. It's not from your will. It's not that, that you're more disciplined than everybody else. It's not that you're strong-headed. It is this, the God of the universe is gonna give you his grace to endure and to have hope. Just like you couldn't save yourself, you also can't muster up the courage or whatever it may take to endure suffering. 
It is by his grace. Have you ever, wondered, have you ever read about the, the martyrs of time? You go, how did they do that? How did... How, Thomas Hawk, who's, who's being led out because of his faith in Christ to be burned at the stake, to being totally consumed by fire. He's there with two other friends before they go out. They're praying together, and Thomas Hawk is first. And, and, and Thomas, they're talking, they go, Thomas, you're first, and how will we know if God gives you the grace to endure? And Thomas said, I will put my hands over my head to let you know that God gave me the grace to endure. So he goes out, he's in the fire, he gets in, and he begins to be consumed. And the two friends are watching and looking on, and they're looking, they go, oh no, God hasn't given him the grace. And as his body is consumed, his skin is falling off his body. His hands have now, they have, they have sealed together because of the, the skin. All of a sudden, two nubs shoot up from the fire. And he claps them three times. He puts them down and he dies. How did he do that? The grace of God that comes from God himself that in our, in our greatest need, his grace meets us. Friends, you don't have to worry if you're going to be able to endure. God's grace is promised. He's going to give it to you when it's time. That's good news. God wants you to know that his grace will sustain you in difficult times. And if you, if you trust his salvation by faith, he says, you can trust me that I will meet you when it's time. So if this is, it doesn't matter about you. It's all about him. And so I just want to encourage you today, as John did, that we are, we are leaning into a God who was and is and is to come. He's coming. Meaning that God will sustain you. He'll give you grace. So the second thing I want to encourage you with is not only does grace come from the Father, the grace now comes from, verse four says this, the seven spirits who are before his throne. Have you ever wondered, like seven spirits? Like some people, they debate over this. They think, <clears throat> they think it's the seven archangels or I, I, I believe it's describing the Holy Spirit. And it's connected to the, the passages out of Zechariah and I, Isaiah 11 that speaks about the seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. And so it's, it is of the Lord, it is of wisdom, it's of understanding, it's of counsel, it gives strength, it gives knowledge, and it, and, it, and, it, and it gives us the fear of the Lord. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. So we have the grace of God, and now we have the grace of his Spirit. So I want you to know something today as we get into the book of Revelation, regardless of all the what-ifs there, regardless of the suffering, that you will be equipped by the Holy Spirit of God to endure whatever comes your way. By his grace, through the spirit, through the father. So God is encouraging you today. So the spirit that energizes you and equips you to do the work, to live for God, to, to, to follow him, that same spirit is going to come from the, from the throne room of God. In this passage, it's the spirit around the throne room. It's gonna come and meet you and equip you and counsel you and give you wisdom and give you understanding. And then you're going to endure and be able to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. That's good news as we lean into this, as things get 
crazy in the world. And thirdly, the next encouragement as we get into this book is you have been provided for by Jesus, the Son of God. So scripture says this, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth. So we have grace of the Father, the the three persons. We have the triune greeting here to let you know everything about God is going to take care of you in these times. So the book of Revelation may not be, excuse me, may be about eschatology in the future. But more than that, friends, the book of Revelation is about the glory and greatness of the warrior lamb and king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And he has made a way for us to endure no matter what. That's really what the book is about. There's a lot of different opinions about the book of Revelation, timelines, the connections to Daniel 7, Daniel 9, the rapture, the tribulation, the literal third temple, the Antichrist, the three and a half years of favor for Israel, the mark of the beast. And I have thoughts on all of them. I do. But I'm not going to tell you. Because they're still yet to come. I have some ideas. But it's one thing to speak of something that's to come. Like that's a picture. That's a, okay. And so what, what the scripture, and just so you know my heart, what the scripture shouts, I will shout. What the scripture whispers, I will whisper. And there are these things that have been whispered, and you're like, whoa, wow, that's very interesting. I'd be happy to have a conversation with you about it, but I'm not going to sit up here and tell you whether I'm pre, mid, or post. I have an idea. And I'm still not going to tell you. Because what matters is the, that we glorify Jesus in our lives and through our lives. What matters is you understand, listen, whether, whether or not we're taken out of here before the tribulation, mid-tribulation, the end of the tribulation, that we go and we greet Jesus in the air, and we're like, great, this is awesome, then we come back to earth with him. Regardless, our job doesn't change. And so what happens is believers get fixated on the timelines and they forget about the purpose of why, what, what, what Revelation is about, about what we're called to do. And, and we, we love the idea and it's fascinating and it's mysterious and it's really cool. And it doesn't change what we're called to do though. So we need to understand we've been provided by Jesus. And so I want to give you just a few things today that was provided by Jesus and what the scripture says that first off that Jesus, when things are difficult, Jesus, what the scripture says is our faithful witness. He is a faithful witness to us. Jesus is the revealer of God the Father. If you wanna know about who God is and how, who he is in his, his heart, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus' words, his works, his love, his sacrifice, his sinless life, he showed us the character of God. And this, the scripture says, written to the church that's suffering, there is grace that comes from the one, who, the, the, the one who has always been. There's grace that comes from the spirit. And there's grace that comes from the son who has been a faithful witness to us. So Jesus is a faithful witness. Now in this passage, there's, again, he's writing to seven churches and it's very interesting. And where we're going, um, it's very interesting is, is what was happening in the church at that time is happening 
in the church globally at this time. Very fascinating as you connect some of the dots. But this idea about Jesus being a faithful witness, which it's mentioned in other times throughout the scripture, is where we get the word martyr from. And so to encourage us in difficult, unsettled times, we can be comforted by the sacrifice that God was willing to do for us. And we can remember that's his heart for you. His heart is not to punish you. His heart is not to leave you alone. His heart is not to, to, to keep you fretted and, 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 and uh, scared and freaked out and, and, and not knowing. His heart is for you to understand, hey, listen, son, listen, daughter, just I loved you so much. I sent my son to save you. I, I sacrificed Jesus to save you. And, and please know that just as I did that, I will come and meet you and, and serve you in, your, in the midst of your pain or your difficulty. It is this promise. Look what God did. Put your confidence and God will do it again to meet you right where you are. It's just this idea of encouragement here. And so we get to the next encouragement. And we, as we're reminded of who cares for us, we're also reminded what Jesus did for us. So remember from the garden... The promise came and said, I'm going to, from the seed of the woman, I'm going to bring one who's going to crush the head of Satan. And so this is Jesus who has come to crush. Death entered humanity. Remember, Adam was the first Adam. And we all sin because of Adam. Well, that's very important. They want to encourage us. God wants to encourage us that Jesus was the firstborn of the dead for us. Now, what does that mean? Jesus did what no person had ever done. He died, he rose from the dead, and he stays alive forever. Nobody's ever done that. However, the firstborn of the dead means he's not the only one who's going to do that. He was the firstborn of the dead. In other words, there's going to be more people who were born from the dead. By our faith in Christ, they want to... God wants to anchor you in this idea that you, like Jesus, are going to rise from the dead. That you are, he was the firstborn of the dead. And why? Because there's going to be more. Because all who put their faith in Christ will also rise from the dead. It's our promise. So death, when Paul says, death, where's your sting? This is what he's talking about. Like, okay, you can, you can take my body. But let me tell you something. I'm coming back. I'm coming back because Jesus was the firstborn of the dead. So it's important we understand that. It's a, it's a messianic idea. Psalm 89, 27 says, I will make him, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Jesus is the first because he represented all of us. Adam represented all of us. And he failed. He plunged us into sin. But the second Adam, Jesus, who represented all of us, plunged us beneath his cleansing blood and raised us and placed us with God in heavenly places already. That's the good news. When John began to receive this revelation from Jesus, Jesus said this, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. In other words, fear not. 
I got this taken care of. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make sure you're going to, you're going to rise from the dead because I, I did it first and you're in my kingdom now and I'm going to raise you from the dead. The next encouragement is this about Jesus. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. When you look through the book of Revelation, this is what you see. Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth and he's on our side. We're in his kingdom. Now, I want you to see something. The scripture, it's not about that he will be the ruler. It's not about he will be the ruler of the kings on earth, but rather he is the ruler right now. All authorities, spiritual, earthly, are under his dominion and his rule right now. And what we forget is that actually, it's actually true. What we forget is we think that we think Jesus is still trying to, to fight for all authority. No, no, he has it already. He rules over every king, every nation already. It's done. It's finished. It's happened. Now, we don't see the fullness of it. So we are in a kingdom of God that, that is, there's a timeline. That's why we start in Genesis and we've seen the progression of what God was doing. So we're in a kingdom that everything about it hasn't been manifested yet. What that says is this, the things of God we have now and we have some things that we don't have yet. We haven't seen them yet. We haven't manifested them. They haven't manifested yet. So it will be, it will be crystal clear crystal clear when Jesus comes again. And this is an encouragement to us to remain steadfast, to remain true to his word, to remain faithful to his church and the house of God, to live your life from the victory he has already won. He's already won the victory. You may be suffering, there may be difficulties, there may be persecution, but you are not a defeated foe. You walk in the victory of Christ. You do. Tell somebody, you do. Say, you walk in the victory of Christ. I don't know if you meant that or not, but. So we are to worship God passionately, worship him triumphantly, we're to be a witness of God. We are to occupy and do the business until he comes. Friends, there will be a day where there will be no need for evangelism. There will be a day, there will be no need for the gospel. It will be totally fulfilled. And Jesus will have separated the sheep from the goats. There will be judgment against sin and all those who are serving Satan. Satan will be judged. There will be a day when the gospel is no longer needed. But until that day, we are to proclaim and we are to be a witness for Jesus Christ on this earth until that day comes. We are it. We are the voice. And we partner with God to carry out his business of reaching the world and saving the lost. Something Again, we need to understand of the encouragement here is yes, there's this idea that we have been raised from the dead, that our king has already won all the victory. He's not, he's not battling it out. No, it is God who has won the victory. But also in the midst of suffering, we need to understand this. 
that Jesus loves us and freed us from our sins. We're to be reminded of that. Revelation 5, 1, 5, and 6, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. God wants you to remember, no matter what you face, what you go through, he loves you and he loved you when he died on the cross and he shed his blood for you and he loves you today and he will love you when you go through difficult times. He is available to you. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. He will sustain you by his grace, not on your merit, but by his undeserved grace that he would give us. It says to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom. Now look at this made us a kingdom, priest, to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As we close, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus made us a kingdom of priests by his blood. To be forgiven would be enough. But he didn't stop there. He made us a kingdom of priests. He he brought us into the dominion of his king, of his kingdom. And we walk in the authority that King Jesus walked in when he was on this earth. We do the work of the kingdom. We minister To God, as a priest, we serve him, we witness about him, we bring forth his rule and his reign, and the kingdom that we're a part of, we see glimpses of it. We see that God will heal. We see that God delivers. We see that God convicts. But it's not all the time. But one day, friends, one day, there will be no more tears. One day, there will be no more sickness. One day there will, there will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering on the world. There will, it won't exist anymore. One day. But until that day of no more, our job is to carry out the work as priests of the kingdom. Many of you don't realize that you are priests of the kingdom of God. You are to bring forth his rule and his reign wherever you go, wherever you are, in your families, at work. You're to understand wherever your feet walk, you can by faith walk in in the power and the anointing and the authority of the king. That you are a priest. Say, I'm a priest. You are a priest. So what does that mean for you? If you actually understood that every day, what would that look like for your life? What would that look like for your family? What would that look like for the actions of your life? You're a priest. And John wanted to remind us and the church, remember, Jesus has made you a priest. We bring forth his rule and his reign on the earth right now. And the kingdom that we're a part of has commissioned us, the king has commissioned us to do what he did. Jesus said, before he ascended to heaven, he said this. He said, Father, the authority that you've given me, I give it to them. 
Who is he talking about? The priest. That's us. And so many times we have to align our lives that God actually wants us to make a difference. He actually wants us to bring forth his kingdom. He wants us to see the manifestation of the things of, his, of, of the king in our lives. He invites us to this place. He brings us to this place. And the book of Revelation is to remind us, don't quit, don't give up, don't stop, don't end, don't pull back, don't say, oh, let's just play it, play it easy. No, no, uh-uh. We have a limited amount of time to do something with our lives. And this is what the book of Revelation speaks to us. It encourages us that there is grace that comes to you. There's grace to meet you, to sustain you, no matter what. And that's good news. That is good news, friends. And so as we get into the book of Revelation, we're going to lean into some of these things. But we must understand and fully, fully get this idea that this is not about us enduring in our willpower. This is about us being assured, regardless of what you go through. Regardless of the pressure, regardless of the persecution, regardless of the suffering, regardless, God by his grace will meet you right where you are. And we as priests will bring forth the kingdom of God that we would walk different, talk different, act different, believe different. We understand that we are the priests of the kingdom and what priests do is they bring forth the, the power and the spirit of the king. And that's what we get to do in our journey with God as we lean into the book of Revelation. Don't be scared. Don't fret. Don't fear. Overcome by the grace of God. We are overcomers. Amen? We're overcomers. If we can, let's stand to our feet today. Grateful for you, love you so much. Excited to be on this journey with you. So my heart for us is that we would see ourselves differently, that we would receive the encouragement from John and that we would actually understand we're on a mission. We're just not getting by. We're not hunkering down until Jesus comes. No, we are bringing forth the kingdom of God on the earth. And we have the grace of God to do it and to endure. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for your, your word today that speaks to us. I want to thank you, God, that you are transforming us and you're aligning our lives with what it means to be a priest, what it means to endure. Lord, I know that there are people here today who are incredibly fearful about the last days. They're scared. And Lord, I wanna ask you today that you would give them your spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Lord, today we take authority over the spirit of fear that intimidates us, that pushes us back, that limits us. Lord, today we reject fear and choose a sound mind, power, and love. So Lord, I pray over your people today as we leave that we would understand our role, that we would walk in freedom, that today, God, you would minister to us. 
And Lord, I know there are also people here today who don't know you. And those people hearing the last days, hearing there will be an end where the gospel is finished being preached, that the last person will be saved within the timeline that you choose. God, so often we put off, oh, I'll, I'll give my life to God another time, tomorrow, later. God, the reality is we don't know. And the scripture says it is coming soon. So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you recognize that you are not right with Jesus and you want to give your life to him today, and be a priest and be a part of his kingdom. Nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand right where you are. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer and we're all going to pray it together. Many of you raised your hands that you would commit your life to Jesus and receive what he's done for you. So let's all pray. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I put my trust in you. I believe that you died for me. I believe you rose from the dead. And I put my faith in you. From this moment forward, I'm a priest. I commit my life by your grace to follow you. From this moment for the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a hand today. Amen. If you gave your life to Jesus today, there's a next step, and we want to help you in that, and there's a QR code on the back of these chairs. You can scan it, and we'd love to help you. If you can't lift your hands to the Lord, Father, I bless your people today. May you prosper them, may you lead them, may you heal them, may you restore them. May they leave here with an understanding of their authority. God, may you bless this church and bless your people. And may they receive a fresh understanding of your goodness to them today. In Jesus' name, we all say amen and amen. God bless you.